The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers followed by our information break, and then our main speaker will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Jeff. All right. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Jeff. I'm an alcoholic. I'm excited to be here. Uh, this is my home group at the Atlantic Group. Uh, Daniel, thank you for asking me to speak. I know you can't be here uh, because you're sick and on Zoom. Uh, I hope you feel better. Um, I'll start with saying my sobriety date is September 3rd, 2022. I just celebrated one year of consecutive sobriety. Um, our sponsor, his name is Jimmy G. Uh, he's also a member of the Atlantic Group, and I'm working steps 10, 11, and 12. Um, so to jump right into it, what it was like, um, I would say from a very young age, I was very aware of alcoholism. Um, my dad was in this program for 10 years, um, and it was talked a lot. Like, it was talked about in our household, so I knew what it was, but I never thought that it would be me. Um, and I felt like a very anxious kid, and I felt very hyper aware of what other people felt about me or thought about me, um, and I, I was just very tense. The first opportunity that I had to drink, um, I remember it was like a bottle of Jägermeister and sour pucker vodka, and I just started taking pulls and drank till I couldn't drink anymore. And that same night, um, I passed out and I woke up to someone tapping me on the shoulder. And it was my friend's older sister, who I had a crush on at the time. And I was butt naked <laughs> with my head in the toilet, hugging the toilet bowl, no idea what was going on. Um, and that's how I drank. Um, and <laughs> and um, yeah, and you know, I drank, the other thing is I drank to suppress my emotions, kind of like what I mentioned with the anxiety. When I drank, I didn't feel anxious, and I felt free, I felt euphoric, and I chased that feeling for the next 13 years. Um, so for me, this was, you know, they say it's a progressive disease. Uh, that's what it was for me. I wasn't always an everyday drinker. I was able to like maintain and keep it to binges. Fast forward to COVID, um, I started drinking every day. Um, it just got started earlier in the day. Um, being able to work from home and starting my morning drinking vodka, um, it, was, it was bad and it was ugly. Um, and it took me to a place of isolation from loved ones um, and it really broke me. So what happened? Um, like I said, um, you know, the, the alcohol just kind of broke me and brought me to my knees and I was supposed to fly to Reno, Nevada for a family reunion and, um, you know, that particular day I drank much more than typical. I had taken much more other substances than normal um, and I was like, I can't get on that flight. Like, I, I honestly felt like you know, I was scared that I might not wake up the next day. Um, and I was also scared that I would wake up the next day and have to keep doing this and keep living this life because it was unbearable. 
um, and I just couldn't imagine that. So I checked myself um, into an emergency room um, and told them that I wanted to go to their detox program or their inpatient. Um, and when I got there, they saw me immediately. I had hypertension, um, so my blood pressure was really high, so they treated me. And I remember I rested for a little bit and I woke up and they sent the inpatient rehab coordinator um, to interview me, um, which is odd, right, getting interviewed for rehab. But, um, <laughs> and we got into an argument and, I, and it, like, I don't know why, but we just, we got into a disagreement and I got upset with him and he left. The doctor came back and told me, like, hey, you know, um, we actually can't take you here, um, but here's a piece of paper with a list of all the other places um, that you could go. And it's, it's like, looking back, it's like the best thing that could have happened, and it's definitely a higher power moment, because um, it brought me to A, but at the time, I couldn't have felt more hopeless um, and just out of options, because I felt like I had tried everything and made like a concerted effort to quit drinking. Like every day I would wake up and say, like I'm gonna taper down today. I'm gonna have, instead of 12 drinks, I'm gonna have 10 and the next day eight. And that never happened because once I start drinking, I don't stop and I can't. Um, so I left that hospital, um, I went home, I went to bed, I woke up the next day did the same thing I always did. Um, got a bottle of vodka, started drinking, and my dad was aware of this, and he had said to me, like, hey, why don't you just try going to a meeting? Um, here's the link to New York Intergroup. Um, and in my head, I was like, a meeting? Um, like, from the corporate culture, like a meeting, not a lot gets done, and I was like, there's no way a meeting is going to help me. Like, I can't even get things done at work in a meeting. Um, and, uh, but something told me to call, me, call my former boss, who's a member of the Atlantic Group. Um, and I told her everything that was going on. And she told me it was going to be OK, um, and connected me with another fellow of the program. So I talked to him, and he had me meet him at the Saturday Atlantic group. Um, I went to that meeting. I met him beforehand. I walked downstairs into the basement. Um, and, you know, they asked if there were any newcomers counting days. I raised my hand. I said, like, hey, I'm Jeff. I'm an alcoholic. And I started saying, like, really excited to be here. <laughs> and, and, and Tim, who was with, like, pulled me down, like, no, just say you on one day. Um, and uh, yeah, but it was awesome. Um, you know, everyone was so welcoming and friendly, and like I was so like lonely and hopeless at the time. And they asked me if I wanted to go to the diner afterwards, and I was like, absolutely. Um, and I met my first sponsor there that night, uh, John Paul. Um, you know, he asked for my phone number and told me to give him a call the next day. So I did that. Um, and the next day, I, you know, I called him and we talked. And I said, "Hey, like, I heard there's this sponsorship thing. Um, like, what do you think I should do about that?" And he's like, "Well, I'll sponsor you." Like, I was like, "Yes," because 
really I was asking him to be my sponsor. I was just too afraid to say so. Um, and uh, yeah, so what I did and, and you know how I, I was able to get to a year, I think is simple. You know, I said yes to everything. Um, I did the 12 steps. You know, it's a continuous action and, and everything, but went through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous um, and was honest with everything. I think, um, I would say particularly like the moral inventory, getting to share a lot of things that I'd never shared with another person that I couldn't tell my family or, you know, couldn't tell someone else out of the fear of being judged, I was able to get that out. Um, and the amends in particular were really important to me because, like I said, I, I really care what other people think and, you know, it comes from like what I've learned, like a self-seeking, selfish mindset. Um, and uh, making those amends were able to like free me of looking over my shoulder of all the people that I had wronged and all the people that I thought hated me. Um, and you know, it was it was an incredible experience, and it has been an incredible experience. It's beautiful. Um, uh, thank you. Um, today, what does my program look like? Um, like I said, my I'm working with a new sponsor now, Jimmy G. He uh, is John Paul's sponsor. Um, John Paul is having some some health issues right now, um, so praying for him and thinking about him and how much this program means to him and, and means to me. And, um, you know, that's, that's been tough, um, you know, because I love the guy. Um, and working with Jimmy has been amazing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't do meditation every day. I try. It's, uh, it's progress, not perfection. That's what I've learned in this program. Um, yeah, so I, I'd like to say, like, if you're new, this program works. Um, I'm like a professional skeptic, and it works for me. So thank you, everyone. Our second 10-minute speaker is Gina. Hi, Gina, alcoholic. Hi, Gina. Uh, my sobriety date is July 8th, 2022. I have a sponsor, Tracy, who's taken me through the 12 steps. And she has a sponsor who has a sponsor, and these women have been a key part in my recovery. So I'm going to tell you um, how it was, what happened, and how it is now. Um, I was a child of New York City in the 70s, <laughs> which was an adventure. and. Um, my mother divorced my alcoholic father when I was three, and I didn't see him for um, years. He was in and out of psych wards and going through the DTs. Um, in an effort to better our lives, she married a successful businessman, and uh, this new life began. Um, Three years later, uh, I was told that my father was better <laughs> and that I was going to be living with him on the weekends. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 
and this began my adventure. It turned out that my father's uh, recovery program was to switch from alcohol to drugs. And he made a great effort to win me back. He let me do whatever I wanted, stay up all night, go to the store by myself, eat whatever I wanted. And he openly did drugs in front of me. And um, eventually, he started giving me drugs and alcohol. And my father turned from my father to my abuser. And I tell you this um, not because it made me an alcoholic or to shock you, but because it was a key part of my story. Because that's when my core beliefs were formed, which were um, there was no God. <laughs> you can only count on yourself. And, uh, and life, the only way to get through life was to walk with hand in hand with alcohol, which gave me wonderful relief and was always there for me. And I loved very, very dearly. Um, Soon my peers caught up with me and I was happy to be the tour guide to alcohol and alcoholic accessories. And uh, those years were defined by bars and clubs and being insane places that we had no legal business being. Um, when I was 16, I met Brian, the man who'd become my husband. I was on a booze cruise on the circle line, uh, which is where you always want to find your mate. And uh, I, um, he had just arrived from Northern Ireland two days before. He was escaping war poverty and an abusive alcoholic um, father, so of course, love at first sight. Um, I married him first when I was 18 in secret to get him his papers, because he was also undocumented, and then at 22 for the world to see. And we began this life of him and I and a small group of trusted people. Um, I started teaching. I worked in the roughest schools with the toughest kids because uh, I saw myself as this good person that was going to protect me and everybody else from anything bad happening. And I did this with alcohol at my side. Um, it was a miracle that I was able to keep these things going with the rate that I was drinking. So fast forward 25 years into my relationship with alcohol. I'm married. I've got two postgraduate degrees. My career is chugging along, which is amazing considering the amount of alcohol I'm consuming. I drank every night. And then two or three times a week, I would go to blow off steam, which looked like um, bars, clubs, after hours, never ended until way into the light of the next day. And um, things, things went on like that. Um, so, oh my goodness, five minutes. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> I was, uh, money was starting to get tight and my alcoholic budget was non-negotiable, so I took a second job as a real estate broker, so then I worked, I went to school, I had a few drinks, I went to the real estate office, 
I did that on the weekends. And um, with this money, I had a brilliant idea. I was going to open a bar. So um, <laughs> that worked out great because I got to drink all the time, um, all my free time. Uh, this rounds on me became my favorite phrase. And, um, but life was starting to come apart at the seams. Uh, I was constantly stressed, angry. Um, I'm running on two hours of sleep. My husband has now become a very, very heavy drinker. He's um, working less and less. He's gotten two DUIs. And um, uh, eventually uh, he, um, <clears throat> excuse me, eventually he was arrested driving drunk with my kids in the car. And that was it. We divorced. He went back to Ireland. And um, my partners were getting fed up with my blowing off steam nights, which were now almost every night. So my solution was open another bar on my own. And then I, was, and I took a leave from teaching. So now I'm drinking around the clock and um, desperately trying to do all these things. If you've ever seen the circus act where the guy spins the plate, this was me running back and forth trying to not let everything come crashing down. And in 2015, um, my manager was taking me out the back door of the, of the bar so as not to carry me out in front of my customers. And he turned to hail a cab and I passed out, fell backwards, and my head cracked open like a watermelon. Nine staples, some mild brain damage, which seems to have <laughs> righted itself. And um, that was it. I had to admit that my life was unmanageable. And uh, that was really hard. And from the hospital, I went to rehab. And um, I couldn't imagine what life was going to look like without alcohol. It was my closest, dearest relationship. The thought of life without alcohol broke my heart. It was like a death. It was truly the thing I counted on most. Um, uh, but AA came into the rehab, and I thought, OK, this is my plan. And I started going to meetings, and I heard Tracy speak. And I thought, I want what she has. And I asked her to be my sponsor. And she brought me into the program. And uh, life began to change. Uh, it was like somebody turned the lights on. My senses lit up, the colors, the smells. It was wonderful. But um, I was a hard case. The steps were difficult. I was a devout atheist. And um, I also could not understand uh, if life didn't run on my will, how was anything ever going to get done? That just made no sense. But I was willing, and she had the patience of Job, and we got through the 12 steps. And I put together almost three years of sobriety. Um, <clears throat> and. Uh, so uh, I, I had a slip, um, I, and I went out for four years. And it was only the death of my beloved Brian through demoralizing, terrible death to alcoholism, which devastated my children and myself, that I came back. 
and I was welcomed with open arms, the love I was shown. I walked into a Friday night meeting and I was surrounded by people who just had nothing but kindness. Deborah hugged me and she said, thank God you're back. And now every day um, the steps are in my life. I've, I pray, I meditate, I do service. Um, <clears throat> I write out my resentments, and for the first time in my life, I know peace, and uh, I thank you for my sobriety. Our main speaker tonight is Sam. Hi everybody, my name is Sam and I'm an alcoholic. Can everyone hear me? Do I sound gay? Because I am. Modem to modem, face to face. Oh, I'm going to have a gratitude attack. So grateful to be sober today. My sobriety date is October 25th, 2001. My sponsor's name is Misty, my home group's PAX. And I get, I get to sponsor and work with a lot of people. There's a bug in here. <laughs> uh, welcome to all the people counting days. Happy anniversary, happy birthday from, from the West Coast um, for those who are celebrating. Uh, this is me on my bottom, you know. This is 22 years ago, 9-11. That Friday, it was happened on a Tuesday, that Friday, I was in a cab ride home in a blackout, uh, setting off my parents' alarm and how dark it is before the dawn. Um, like pre-GPS, I think there was like a two-way pager situation. <laughs> you know, so just a little bit, um, I try not to do a big drunkalogue. I don't know what's gonna come out tonight, but I've got Olga keeping track of me, so we're going to get everyone out of here on time. Um, what I will say is I drank from the ages of 12 to 26, and increased in substance and in frequency. And that may be your story or not your story, but according to the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it doesn't matter how much you drank, how much I drank, what I drank, when I drank, where I drank, it happened. What, makes me an alcoholic is what happens to me, right? When I pick up the first one, I'm powerless, I will have another, period. And so um, what I will say is I grew up in northern New Jersey from two immigrant parents. They both were the first from their families to move here from the Philippines. And what I recall is I didn't want anything that I had. I didn't want to be gay. I didn't want my parents to have accents. We grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. I just wanted to blend in. And when it talks about a hopeless state of mind and body, my hopeless state of mind, my mind, my habitual thought is anywhere but here. What I call the alcoholic equation in three, when we get there, we will be going through the steps, P.S., because that is the program. <laughs> My alcoholic equation is when this happens, when fill in the blank, then 
right? And Ford tells us we thought conditions drove us to drink. Not really, because I had to get down to causes and conditions. I had to get down underneath that. So, anywhere but here. And um, so what it looked like was on the weekends, friends, parents were away, just some booze, nothing else, some nicotine. You know, then I went away to college and it was uh, frequency every day but Wednesdays. I took Wednesdays off. I don't know why. Um, and then it was like other things, you know, that enhanced the liquid. Um, and I was saving myself for New York because it was education was the important thing. Education. Just get your education. So I just wanted to get them off my back. So I thought if I just go to a small town school in Pennsylvania, I'll be out in four years. And so I went to this school for French. And it turns out all the French classes were at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> and, um, you know, my priority was the drink. And... I never went to class. And so, because I turned my will and life over to the care of alcohol, that was the priority. And French was no longer the priority. And so it was a matter of just finding a class that I can take, a major, to get me out of there in four years. And that turned out to be art history. I hated history. <laughs> However, the rooms were dark, and I'm very visual. So there was like a slideshow. And um, I could bring a Diet Coke bottle with some rum in it, my little rum and Coke, while watching a movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> and, um, you know, it should have been telltale signs. There were telltale signs all along the way, which I just didn't pay attention to, you know? and. Um, we're only here for 30 minutes, so I don't know how much is going to come out. There might not be the 13th step. We could talk about it later. Um, I don't know if we're going to talk about a law firm. We'll see what comes out. But what I will say right now is um, I just wanted to get out of there, you know. And I um, recall being woken up out of a blackout senior year. My family flew in from everywhere to be there to help me celebrate my graduation and um, grades were due and my counselor called me and my roommates were waking me up to tell me that I might not be able to walk. And I went to her office and proceeded to beg her for a D minus so that I can get out of there. Um, to which she gave me and um, that was it. You know, there was like little to no consequences. Um, and I was saving myself for New York, so then I moved to New York after I graduated, and um, it was on awakening, a six-pack of Heineken in the shower, right? So in the end, is like this is like the end of my drinking. I was evicted from my West Village apartment. I was um, fired from my job, which provided a driver for me, which was then no longer available. And... Um, Six-pack of Heineken on awakening. 9-11 happened, blackout there. We went to the doctor, and um, unbeknownst to me, they were doing a full toxology report, 
right? When we read how it works, it talks about, you know, rigorous honesty. I think it says it at least three times there. And um, not, not honest, period. And so I was, I didn't tell him about the six pack of Heineken, I told him about the two martinis at dinner. And um, so they actually knew what was up because they had this whole toxology report so they could see a lot of liquor and a lot of other things, legal and prescribed, but not prescribed to me. <laughs> so, um, eyes were yellow, liver damage, and um, our doctor suggested I go to um, this therapist who suggested I go to this psychiatrist, a lot of doctors. And um, the psychiatrist suggested I go to AA. And I told my mother, and I said, Mom, they're telling me to go to AA. And um, she said, my mom is a physician. Well, she's a retired physician now. And she said, um, oh, interesting. Well, um, I don't have a lot of experience. Successfully, I haven't seen a lot of a huge success rate with my patients. But if the doctor's saying to go, do what they say. And so I said, OK. Um, can I, I was immediately removed from people, places, and things for those new. Like, that was, that helped me in the beginning, right? So I was living in my parents' Place. And I said, Mom, but I need the car because I need to go to New York for a meeting. And she said, aren't there meetings in New Jersey? <laughs> I said, I guess, but I am a New Yorker. <laughs> and God forbid I go to a meeting in New Jersey. There'll probably be a stroller in there or something. <laughs> I need to be with my people. So there was a long timer before that used to talk about high gloss, low value, and that's me. You'll hear it all throughout my story. I think it even says somewhere in our book that they did, they they did an accurate analysis of all these characteristics of alcoholics were grandiose, childish, and emotionally sensitive. Like, that's all me. You'll hear this all throughout my story. And um, so I got the keys to the car and fancy friends, high gloss, low value. Um, Allie just got back from the Couture shows in Paris, and I said, Allie, they're telling me to go to an AA meeting. She said, oh my god, amazing. Can I come? <laughs> said, of course. That's why I'm calling you. I'm going to pick you up in five. So I picked her up, and I don't know if anyone's ever seen um, Absolutely Fabulous, Patsy and Adina. For those younger, um, clueless, Sharon Dion. Uh, making a cameo at the Perry Street meeting, the world famous Perry Street meeting. And, um, you know, high muscle value, I knew exactly what I wore. I was like probably 15 pounds lighter. Um, I took to wearing blue tinted Chanel sunglasses. Um, and I joke because who doesn't love Chanel? Um, but really, in all seriousness, it's because I couldn't look anyone in the eye at this point. I didn't even want to see me. Um, and they were bloodshot, yellow, yellow. The whites were yellow. Like this, like stripes, really fitted. Um, turtleneck with like a little glitter, um, super skinny jeans, and then this pink shearling Emmanuel Ongaro tote with pink crocodile handles and these golds hardware with these dingly dangly th things. I love accessories too, Gina. And um, 
Allie wore like a floor-length frock, and we came strolling in, and somebody asked us if we were new. I said, how do they know? How do they know? I let Allie know that before we probably see like a few celebrities, a few people we see out at events that we read about, and we'll just, it will be fabulous. We'll just go out to brunch after. Anyway, I, I don't know what color the room was. It was, um, there were a lot of signs. It was dark and dingy. And uh, I saw a lot of God and this old script writing. And um, there was a woman seated behind this podium and she was talking. And I know that that's called qualifying. Um, and then I was nodding, which I now know is called identifying. People were talking after, which I now know is called sharing. And it was going around the room towards me, which I now is called around Robin. And before it got to me, I grabbed her hand. I said, let's get out of here. <laughs> we went down to um, the corner bistro down the block, and I ordered a burger and a beer. And she said, I thought you were going to try this. And I said, OK, fine, a Diet Coke then. What I took from my first meeting was do 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor, and join a home group, get active. I called my friend Lucy from London, and I said, Lucy, Okay, so are you seated? This is what's going on. They want me to go to AA. They're telling me to go to the 90 meetings in 90 days. And she said with her British accent, oh my God, that sounds so excessive. And I said, I know, but somebody said, if you drank every day, what's a meeting every day? And so I don't know who is in charge. There's like a different person at every meeting. There's like no VIP section. <laughs> like, I'm not quite clear about a few things. It might be a cult. We all hold hands pre-COVID. We all hold hands. And then there's like a rah-rah-rah thing at the end. It's like energetic. <laughs> and um, I said, 90 days. If I don't come out, please come in and get me. So I heard sponsorship, and I went back to my mother. At this point, I'm in like my own rehab facility, like my parents' house, right? I'm going to therapy Wednesday and Friday. I'm doing three meetings a day, daily, on Monday and Friday. I'm unemployable. I'm a liability and nowhere else to go. So I went to a 12.30 in Summit. I went to a 5.30 in Summit. And then I went to an evening gay meeting, because I needed to be with the gays. And uh, then on Saturday, I went to five meetings. And on Sunday, another five meetings. And um, you know, I come from the school of, I should know everything. Don't ask for help. I heard sponsorship. I said, Mom, this could be expensive for you. <laughs> sponsorship in the real world, there's a financial contribution. There's a financial obligation. And surely, Mom, more years sober is more moolah. <laughs> and so she said, find out how much. <laughs> but just like the app on the iPhone, there's a pamphlet for that, you guys. Because I sure as heck was not going to ask for help. 
So I found the pamphlet, and thank goodness. And so I thought, okay, if you want what we have, do what we do. I, you know, one of my friends, thank you, one of my friends said, um, find someone who has what they want. Ooh, isn't that interesting? Um, but I didn't hear that. I had, if you want what we, okay, what do you have? High gloss, low value. I wanted the guy that was like a former model turned venture capitalist <laughs> with at least 25 years of sobriety because he was really sober and um, had a Range Rover Roadster, something in the Hamptons, maybe something in Aspen, Europe, maybe a yacht would be nice of different watches, a driving loafer or two. You know, I just wanted the stuff. And I did see this guy, and thank God, I'm like, ugh, no. So what happened is, and I, you know, I'm going to get off of Clempton, I regret not having a huge tissue box here, um, is I'm here because of Bill and Bob. And lest I forget, Bill was in Akron, a deal went south, and he took a contrary action. Instead of going down the hall to the bar where it was like gay or whatever weird the word, whoopee party, uh, 1939 contacts, and he went to the phone booth, which I actually went to go visit. And because he went to the phone booth, he met Dr. Bob. And there's always that fork in the road. And it's because he took that contrary action is that I'm here. And it's I'm here and you're here. And I have not had a drink in a number of years at this point. That is incredible. This was a daily situation. So, um, my bill moment happened outside of a gay meeting in Upper Montclair, the 5.30 that used to meet on Chestnut Street on Sundays. My friends were calling, and I was going to go back. I was sponsorless. I thought I could also smoke some accessories at this point, because everyone just wanted to hear about the liquid. So, sponsorless, I was doing the Sam show, which I know. And so, um, I said, let me just go to this meeting. I'll do the rah 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 handshake and I'll go back to the city. And on my way back to my car, I thought, oh, this program's about doing things differently. And so I turned around, got my cigarettes. I was a cigarette smoker at the time. And I had a cigarette outside of this meeting. And there appeared this guy, and he wasn't a former model. He was Michael. He was a retired elementary school teacher, and he became my first sponsor. And my experience is, when I keep showing up, help will be provided. He took me to the diner. I was like, I didn't know if he was hitting on me or not. I was just like, let me just go. And what I experienced was love, unconditional love, and active listening. I come from a family as do as I say, not as I do. And 
I don't know if you've ever experienced someone active listening, but there are a lot of awkward silences where it's like, you're going to say something, you're going to fix me. And it was nothing. And um, he took me through the steps and he showed me how to stay sober. So I love when people talk about the steps because in Bill's story, it talks about the practical, it's a practical program of action. It's a design for living. Um, and sometimes you hear, oh, and I say my, my life. But in Bill's story, it's a practical program of action. So like, and I think like I heard Liz B speak from here when there were actual pews here. And I remember her distinctly saying, don't show me where it is in the book. Show me where it is in your life. And so I like to share how I apply these steps to my life. I'm always in a one, two, three, cha-cha-cha. Cha-cha-cha. And what that looks like, new to recovery, powerless, I can't pick up the first drink or dr drink or drink, drink, drink. the first one. It wasn't the 10th martini. I thought it was the 10th martini. I really did. It took me a long time to sort that all out. Allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, right? The doctor says I want ease and comfort. Ha! <sighs> that relaxing feeling that I get when I really work a step three. Ha! <sighs> Peace of mind. Ha! <sighs> ease and comfort, right? Plug in the jug is what they suggest, right? Phenomenon of craving doesn't start. If I don't take that first step, then I'm left with my obsessive mind, which I like to call obsession du jour, or the drama du jour. I heard that the average human has 6,000 thoughts a day. Me as an alcoholic, I too have 6,000 thoughts a day. But I have 6,000 thoughts a day about one thing. Me. I'll think about you thinking about me. Me, me, me. So, yeah. So, too, it's centered in my brain. No, it's not. I'm not insane, Michael. It says you're insane. I'm not insane. Well, did you not think it was insane to do the same thing over and over, thinking you were going to get a different result? I was like, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, well, that's insane, too. So, what am I thinking about? Right? And it was it explained to me that the one, two, three is honest, rigorous honesty. One, five, and ten uses the word admit. I admit. Two is openness. It talks about old, fixed ideas, crusty. I could even be crusty in recovery, thinking I know everything. No openness. There's no room for God, for the divine to come through. And then the willingness, the action, the three frogs on the log. I'm sure you've heard that, right? There's three frogs on a log to make a decision to jump off. How many are on the log? Yes, thank you. You heard that too. There's three, you guys. Three. Still, because just because I make a decision, just because I talk about it, doesn't mean that there's no action. If I don't follow up with action, nothing happens. Fork in the road, fork in the road. So, old ideas, I get to redefine what is an alcoholic. I told myself an alcoholic doesn't wear Prada. An 
alcoholic is somebody that's in house circa 1980 on the Bowery. Not me. Doing everything to compare myself out of this program. Thank God for sponsorship. Thank God for Michael. And then three, turn my will and my life over, my actions and my thoughts. What would Oprah do? What would Jesus do? What would anybody else do but me? Take a different action. I'm too busy thinking we could take the lights down a little bit. I wish there was a little pin spot on me. You know, a little more incense or something. You know, it's, I'm constantly, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Can you believe what they did? Oh my God. And then what happens? Four. Step four. Oh my god, there was such a buzz around step four. It's not that bad, you guys. Really. I'll hold your hand. Someone held mine. They said, do a fourth before you drink a fifth. Oh, so cute. <laughs> Talks about sex security in society in our 12 and 12. I want to get laid, I want to get paid, and I care what everyone thinks about me. Those are my basic instincts. So when I people call me and they're like, oh my god, there was this like cute guy, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh my god, triple threat, sit down. Let's get pen and paper out, because this is a triple threat. <laughs> boom, 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 all three, sex security society. Um, and then I get to write it down, write it, get it all out, right, in four. Olga's getting very happy. Ooh, yes, we're getting close, you guys. And then we'd like to wrap it up with a cute little bow at the end. Um, okay, so... Sex Security Society. I do my resentments. For me, what's revealing, what was I resentful? I was resentful at the bullies in school. Right? That's my column, too. I'm forever taking inventory. When I was out there, I was taking your inventory, which I still sometimes do. I was taking inventory of the liquor stores, where they were, how much was in the car, you know, all of those things. Who was going to be drinking? All that inventory. When I first came in, my first inventory was halt, don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Still, is very practical. Know where my next meeting is at all times. I'll be at Thursday. I'll be at PAX on Thursday. Great speaker from LA. Just a little plug. Um, yeah. And then I get to share it. Okay, so what do I do? I never look at the fourth column of, of the resentments. What my part is. What am I doing? What am I not doing? My wrongs. I say, what am I doing? What am I not doing? So my father had an affair. I found out about it. What am I doing about it? What am I not doing? What am I doing? I made that mean, don't trust men, all men cheat. I'm unlovable. I made his affair about me. The bullies? What did I do? I never told anyone. Never told anyone that can actually make a difference. Does that make it okay? No. Does it mean I won't have feelings? No. I had a part. It always takes two to tango. 
a lot of dancing going on here. Cha-cha-cha, tango. Um, okay, and then I get to share it with somebody, right? Uh, with my sponsor. I was a puddle on the floor. I thought I was doing this in therapy already, but you know what? When someone's not on the payroll and they're actually sharing their own experience too, it's like, whoa, this is powerful. And then our fifth step in the, in the 12 and 12 talks about when I give a fifth step. It's a gift, P.S., not dirty laundry hanging all over the place. The book is very clear to pick someone who I can confide in, who's not a gossip, and then to receive one back, right? And then six and seven. So like Lila R. in, you know, who's Santa Monica, Ireland, like she inspired me to do like uh, a step a month. So I've been doing that for a few years. And so this, you know, this is like, wh what are the other things? You know, food, sex, money, gossip, anger, all these other things. Like God helped me with my drinking. Why can't God help me with these other things, right? Six and seven for me are what are the distractions, the things that I'm using to distract myself, the drama, from dealing and actually feeling a feeling. Oh, there's a feeling underneath all of that. Seven, fear. We here in the room is not getting what I want, losing what I have. It's actually not. It's demand or possess are the words they use. Demand is the girl from Willy Wonka. But daddy, I want it now. <laughs> That's me with my higher power. And then I harm people. Physical, mental, spiritual harm. And then I take response, I become willing in me, and then I make amends in nine. Direct. I'm in nine right now, so what's nine? Woo. Closer or further a drink, closer or further from people. The disease wants me isolated. Oh my God, right, wait, wait a minute. I don't even know if I can get a, I don't even know if I can get a bow around this thing. So for me, it's different conversations. How am I having different conversations with you and with me? I'm my worst enemy. Okay, so I'm gonna end with, um, the train. Oh God, okay, can we do it in a minute? Missy, I met this guy, he's gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, I'm sober long enough. I, I wanna have feelings and I don't wanna just like shoo away the feelings with a lot of service and pretend there are no feelings. So what's the balance? She's like, Sam, you're gonna get on a train. It's gonna be amazing, amazing ride. You're gonna wanna get off the train, don't get off the train. Missy, what's happening? Am I on the train, am I off the train? Sam, your brain is gonna think. You're gonna to go to Montecito. You're on the train, Sam. You're on the train. You're thinking Montecito, weekends, fun times. When you start Googling where you're gonna stay, what you're gonna wear, all of these things, you're off the train. Don't get off the train. Stay on the train. The prayer is, God, I'm not there yet. Please help me replace that thought with something better. Our constant thought of others will save the day. Thank you so much for my sobriety.